3: Turn on your radio I know we had some words last time But that was so long ago I got your message It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Transmissions are mooning, waiting to be found And
1: i building rockets, I'm pointing them to the moon This is the Starship Sova. Everybody welcome. Hello and welcome to show 698. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have such a fantastic story today for show 698. But before that... Man, mother chucker is yes. I'm I'm quite happy with Andor. You know what I mean? I'm kind of in the Star Wars universe, I'm I'm really happy with it. It's going places where I want, and it's at the pace and the characterization. Everything's good. But then along comes on Amazon Prime, the Peripheral. Oh, oh this is the novel. Remember the novel? I, I don't know if it was the last one or the one before from uh, William Gibson. This is ju- this is science fiction TV that I want. Manager sets off, and it's got all the cool things like the weapons. the 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 villain is ooh dripping evil. Do you know what I mean? But like in a such a like cool, seductive way. Oh man, I'm not gonna go out and spoil anything like that. But please. It's on Amazon Prime. It's the peripheral. I think there's three episodes at the moment. So you might want to kind of hold back and watch it when the whole thing is out. But man, just thumps into you. Absolutely fantastic. So anyway, let us get on with the main fiction. Now this story originally appeared in The Future is Japanese. Which is Whale Meat by Ekaterina Sidia. Now, I'm probably butchering that, Xenia, but... God loves a terraria. I'll give you a little heads up about Icathenia. She lives and resides in the Pinelands of New Jersey. Her critically acclaimed and award-nominated novels, The Secret History of Moscow, The Alchemy of the Stone, The House of Discard Dreams and Heart of Iron, were published by Prime Books. Her short stories appeared in Analog, Bane's Universe, Subterranean and Clark's World, as well as in numerous anthologies, including Hundred Legends... Running with the Pack, Beware the Night, and Bloody Fabulous. That's a good title, lad, as well. As well as The Mammoth Book of Gaslight Romance. Her short story collection, Moscow But Dreaming, was released by Prime Books in December 2012. She also co-wrote for Yammer Song, March of the Hollows, a fantasy feature-length puppet film voiced by Nathan Fillion, George DeKai, Abigail Breeson, and Whoopi Goldberg. Now, this story is narrated by Eba Amakus. Ebba is a writer-director living in Los Angeles, known for her PBS kids show Pandemic Playhouse. While she occasionally appears on screen or in voice acting roles, she is quick to assure everyone she is not, in fact, an actor, but instead an incurable ham. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Whale Meat by
0: Ekaterina Sedia. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ipahar Ever since I was six, I believed that a divorce necessitated trans-Pacific travel. Ever since my mom bundled me into my warmest coat and took me to the U.S. while dad was left behind, small and sad. He saw me off at the Sapporo airport. Mom and he never talked to each other. And in my memory, my father is always like this forever receding behind me. I'm an adult now, so I can visit him whenever I want. Still, I always end up leaving, and he seems to get smaller every time, as if my guilt eats away at him. My guilt is a complex thing. The fact that I usually stop in Tokyo rather than flying directly to Hokkaido is a contributing factor. I could be spending more time with my dad. But Tokyo is where I earn a good chunk of my living, and so I go. Because without it, I would probably have to get a regular job, rather than waking up at noon and typing chai-fueled nonsense in my PJs. All the clothing companies are in Tokyo, Baby Star and Lux and a million others. I guess they're running out of aging Gosororis and forest girls to peddle their clothing to, and are desperate for the U.S. markets. So in exchange for ad space and articles and product placement on disperation, my blog, they ply me with their outfits, which are pretty enough. I would be tempted if any of them ever fit for my size 6 thighs. You're a bit like an American, their tiny reps tell me. I'm actually thin in the U.S., but not here. I think them politely in my first-grader's Japanese. I stopped talking Japanese at home when I went to school, and gather armfuls of petticoats and capes, jumper dresses, pleated skirts, lace sleeve blouses, and silk sashes. All of them will be worn by someone who isn't me, styled and photographed and given away or auctioned off on my blog. I have no problem with shilling. It gives me the ability to write about serious stuff. Like identity and guilt and politics and environmental protection. But before I can return home to New Jersey, I lie that I'm in New York for blogging glamour purposes, I have to visit my father in Sapporo. When he sees me at the gate, he manages a two second stoic smile before his face crumples and he cries like he cries every time, eyes suddenly hot and face twitching. And I hold him and wish him not to grow old. And then I cry too. After all the emotion at the airport, He leads me to his undersized old Toyota and drives towards Soshigawa Dori. This two hour trip north is usually what it takes for me to get used to everyone driving on the wrong side until my heart stops swooping in my chest as he pulls to the left side of the road. This time, however, we go west. He explains on the way. There is a new assignment, he says, and he will be traveling out of the country to the Kurils, to be exact. Well, Kunashir. You never get proper news in the U.S., he tells me. There was a fisherman from Hokkaido, killed in the waters by Kunashir. Russians let us fish there. Well, that's the treaty anyway. But there were a few, a few cases in the past ten years. I will go and investigate this last one. My father is a prefect, and as far as I understand Japanese law enforcement, not very. He really is not in the position to travel abroad and investigate anything. I mumble something to that effect. He laughs. The Russians won't extradite. And I go as a private citizen. I have relatives there. Not very close ones, but plausibly close. I'll go see what I can find. Undercover, like in a Hollywood movie. I laugh. Oh, Dad. It must be so hard for him to have an American child. Can I come with you? For plausibility? Your Japanese passport still valid? I nod and feel a bit peeved that he anticipated me saying it. That he really left me no choice. Either go with him or head back to the U.S. a week early. When are we leaving? In two days, he says, I figure we can spend time in Sapporo. Maybe go shopping. All the fashions you like so much. My suitcase is pretty full, I say. But sure, we can spend time here. And I'll probably need some cold weather clothes. You can put some of your stuff in my suitcase. Then we take a train and a boat, he says. It'll be an adventure. I don't particularly care, but I'm glad to see him so happy. Things we do for our parents, especially the ones who read our blogs the ones we feel we ought to have been nicer to. I don't know what to expect from Kunashir, and just in case, I buy an extra sweater and a windbreaker, even though my father reassures me that September's there are balmy. He really tries hard. I started going to Japan when I turned 18, and there's that void of 12 years when all I knew of him was an occasional letter and a parcel. My mom was not a bitter person, but as far as she was concerned, my father was over, done and in the past, and no reason to Skype or email or keep in any meaningful touch with. After these 12 years, most of my childhood, we'll never catch up. But he tries anyway. What are your friends like back in the States? He asks when we're back to the hotel after a day of awkward silences and shopping for sweaters and parkas. I get clothes from the men's department, and my father's cool with that. Do they ever ask you about going to Japan? What do you tell them? I shrug. Mostly that it's not all businessmen eating sushi and buying panties from the vending machines? Only after I wish him goodnight do I realize that he wanted to know if I ever mention him. Kunashir turns out to be fairly cold, but surprisingly beautiful. We're staying in a small town, mostly Japanese still, although the language they speak is so peppered with Russian I imagine myself trapped in some weird clockwork orange production. It's located on the shore, like any good fishing town ought to be, and there are hills. Sopki, the locals call them. Round and blue, dressed in steam escaping from some dormant but dangerous seeming volcano underground. There are trees there too. They look like firs of some sort, except they're bright yellow. Larches, Dad says to me in English. The sea there is gray, and there's a cold wind blowing from it. I'm glad for my sweaters and leggings and parkas, as I throw a cape over them for good measure and go to explore all by myself. I want some nature and quiet for a change and the talk in our host's home is depressing and alienating. They and my father seem to want nothing more than to complain about the curls being Russian and Russians deporting Japanese families and how everyone is worried. I suspect that no one remembers that this town even exists. I stand by the shore and watch the dirty lace of the surf flow over the rocks lingering for moments in creases between them and flowing back until my attention is distracted by some people a few dozen yards from me. They seem to be tugging on a net of some sort and yelling at each other. I wander in their direction, hopeful that this place is too small for any egregious crimes. Then I remember the fishermen. The men with the net are all Russian, I'm guessing from their blonde beards and cable-knit sweaters under their canvas hoodies. When I approach them, they all look at me without any particular hostility, but not friendly either. Hi, I say. I'm just visiting here. Any of you speak English? One of them nods. He seems to be in his thirties, wispy-bearded, with a face windburned to an intense brick color. I speak English, he tells me. Where are you from? The United States. He perks up. Santa Barbara? New York. Well, (laughs) New Jersey. Oh. He tries to hide his disappointment. Fishing, I ask. He shakes his head. Dead whale, he says. Fresh. Japanese were hunting here yesterday. They take blubber, whale's mustache, its teeth, yes? Leave everything else behind, all the meat. Have you ever tried whale? I shake my head. Come to the shop tomorrow, he says, just as his fellows heave the net and I finally see, black and red, torn raw, revolting. They wade into the chilled water, and I see then that they all carry knives strapped to their legs in cracked wooden sheaths. They take out the wide, flat blades and hack at the mound of flesh which doesn't even look like anything that used to be sentient. And I cannot get mad at them, because they didn't kill it. They were merely salvaging what they could from someone else's crime. The next day, our hosts take my father and me grocery shopping. The whale meat is there already, labeled in Russian and Japanese, and it is cheaper than anything else in the store. My yesterday's acquaintance is working behind the fish counter, and the variety of fish really is impressive, or would be if I could only look away from the bright red mammal flesh that doesn't seem to belong with the fish. Whales are seafood, though, I suppose. I want to try the whale, I tell our hosts. May we? I feel like a cannibal when I say it, but the pull of the forbidden and the secret is way too strong. Although it won't be secret for long, I will probably blog about it, because that is just how it is. Sure, says Yumi, the old woman my father keeps calling aunt, even though the degree of their relatedness is nowhere that close. Would you like some toro, too? The word is unfamiliar to me, but my father tenses and lights up. It's legal here? Then I remember that toro is the belly of a kind of tuna, bluefin, now a globally protected species with even the Japanese unable to harvest it. When the laws first went into effect, Mom and I were already living in the U.S., and her decision to give up national affectations apparently included tuna as well. At least... I don't remember her saying much about it. Yes, his dubious aunt says. It's farm-grown. My father sighs. Does it taste the same? You'll see, Aunt Yumi says slyly. Kunashir is severe and beautiful, and I take picture after picture every day. Steaming ground and rounded hills, evidence of silent geothermal activity everywhere. In fact, Russians are building a power station nearby, run entirely on geothermal power. When it is finished, it'll supply power to fully one quarter of Kunashir. I take notes for my blog. My father leaves in the morning, on business. He tells me very seriously. Our relatives have jobs and things to do, so I'm left to entertain myself. I spend my days wandering about, taking pictures and speculating about my father's secret mission. Perhaps I think the fisherman was killed as revenge for a dead whale, or maybe he was not a fisherman but an industrial spy trying to find out secrets of geothermal technology. Although I'm guessing it's not like nuclear power, and there's probably not many secrets. Still, it's fun to pretend. I return home by supper, which takes place about 8 o'clock, just as the sun is beginning to set. I forget how long summer nights are so far north, and even now they're dwindling. For supper, we eat rice, steaming in round bowls, and dumplings, and thin slices of locally grown toro. My father loves it, clearly, even though he does say it's not the same as wild-caught fish. But he puts it away as if his life depends on it. I try not to think of bioaccumulation as I eat it, too. And it is delicious. The whale proves to be a disappointment, though. It turns gray when cooked and smells sour. And it tastes like fish but has a confusing beef texture to it. It tastes like the ocean tinged with blood. It tastes like sin. I call my mom three days in because she's probably wondering why I haven't emailed her. Roaming charges here are ridiculous, but I can afford a phone call, so I do. Kunashir, she says. Have you heard about the whale? It's as if she can see my soul, and I blanch and feel grateful that there's no one but yellow larches and the pale, lemon meringue sun to see me here. What whale? That one the Japanese whaling ship harpooned off the coast. They said it was the last representative of the species. What was it, a sperm whale? I don't know, I whisper. I haven't heard. I can't read the newspapers. They're all in Russian. Everybody's talking about that, she says. Be careful. I hang up, and my stomach feels hollow. I cannot understand how they manage to protect tuna and not whales, and familiar rationalizations pop up. Whales are the only source of whale oil, and there are many species of tuna. And whaling is traditional, and I cannot understand it at all. That night, after dinner, I tuck at my dad's arm as if I were a child and he looks up at me as if startled from slumber. Our host's house is small, but somehow it feels spacious, with such small spare furniture and a tiny TV permanently tuned to some backwater Japanese channel, the only one that reaches all this way into Russian territory. It seems to air mostly variety shows and an occasional vintage eating contest. I try not to develop too much of an affection for Kobayashi. What's the matter? he asks. I want to go for a walk, I say. Come with me? He does, and we stroll along the main street. A dirt path already frozen. It freezes after dark, but thaws again in the morning. Flanked by rows of the ubiquitous larches, to the shore. The oceanic Cicerus is ever-present, and I grow oblivious to it, and then aware again all the way from the village. There are flashlights bouncing along the shore, and disappearing around the bend, one by one. Have you found anything, I say, watching the disembodied lights, about the dead fisherman? My father shakes his head. Even the Japanese don't know, and the Russians wouldn't speak to me. There are rumors of another Japanese repatriation, and everyone knows better than to say anything. Even if they know nothing and have nothing to hide. It's about the curls, I ask. It's, it's hard to explain. They used to be ours, and after the war, they weren't one, see? They were a toy your parents gave away to punish you. No one wants to be treated like a child do you think we'll be leaving soon? Yumi doesn't want me to go, and she wants me to tell her it'll be okay. Just tell her that Japan is a thousand times better than this backwater. As I say it, I realize it's stupid, because there is no better or worse when it comes to things like this. I too might think Japan is better, but New Jersey is where it's at. Let's see what they're doing, my father says diplomatically. I think this is where they have those tuna pens. The lights have all disappeared and it's growing darker and the moon is full and is reflected in the oily black water. Russians call it the moon road. My father points at the ladder of moonlight running across the lazily sloshing ocean. Do they raise tuna like this in Japan? I ask. He nods. It's not the same, though. Young people like it, but those who remember the real thing? Everything is different. You like the toro here? He smiles. Here, I can pretend to be something else. We round the bend, and the moon road breaks into crescents and vortices of light, churning. We come upon the same groups of fishermen as before, and the one who speaks English smiles at me. Late walk, he says. This is my father, I say, and they shake hands gingerly. Other men watch, neither interested nor impatient. You're working late, my father says politely. It's a beautiful night. The man points at the churning water and follows his gesture with a beam of his flashlight. I see bulky dark bodies rubbing against each other with a slight metallic whisper, as the enclosure by the shore comes alive with fish. They crowd together, every one at least as long as me, and the sharp ridges of their gill covers flash silver. The beam snatches their reddish eyes as they meet mine, and their maws open with a soft kissing sound as they swallow air. The men toss buckets of small herring at them, and the water boils white. Have to feed them all the time now, so they get fat enough for winter, the man says. Then we move the pens away from the shore, into deeper water for the winter. Protect from the storms. Does it get really cold here, I ask. He nods. Very cold. Cold is not bad, though. It's the winter, when you know you're alone in the world. Here, very alone. The dorsal fins of the fish slash the water like knives, drag traces of moonlight behind them. I think of the dead fisherman and whether he knew he was going to die alone. I watch my father watching the jostling fish, his face narrow and suddenly old in the moonlight, and I wonder if he ever expected to find anything out here, or if it was his way of being somewhere else, alone among the yellow larches when the winter is coming. Most of all, I wonder if I'll ever manage to forget how this night feels, with thrashing giant fish in black water and the taste of dead leaves in the moonlight. In my knotted stomach, the last whale. Begins to sing,
1: and there you go Many thanks, karina That is absolutely fantastic. What a, what a story! Marvelous. Thank you indeed. And Iba, it's lovely to have you back on. Back on. On Starships Over. Thank you indeed. So that is Starships Over's six hundred and ninety eight put to bed. Like I say, try and watch on Prime, Amazon Prime, the Peripheral. Oh. Dear me, fantastic. Until next week, just like to see it. Good night from me. Thank you for this.
3: To you anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed by the time I get my say.